The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Athletes and non-athletes alike, we all need a break so we don't go off the deep end. When it first happened, I, I talked to a lot of um, high, high-profile athletes, and they literally were out of the water six weeks, two months, sneaking into backyard pools. Katie Ledecky swam in a 20-yard pool for like a month and a half. That's American swimming legend and Olympic broadcaster Rowdy Gaines, who is pushing for a return to the pool as soon as possible. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Rowdy Gaines is part of an American heritage of owning the Olympic swimming events, certainly in the last couple of decades. In recent years, Michael Phelps, Missy Franklin, Katie Ledecky, they've been starring in the pools globally. This year, we didn't have the Olympic Games, and thanks to COVID-19, not much has changed in pools all around the world. They're going unused. But Rowdy Gaines is hoping to advocate for us to all dive in soon. Our guest this week is an Olympic legend. He's a former competitive swimmer, U.S. Olympic Hall of Famer, three-time Olympic gold medalist, and you will see him on the coverage of each and every Summer Olympic Games, Rowdy Gaines. Great to have you here, Rowdy. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Bram. Appreciate it. Um, We're here to talk about swimming and COVID and how you're kind of viewing the world from in and out of the pool. So what are some of the complications that you think need some awareness with things being shut down and sports and in particular your sport being closed? Well, I I think Bram, when you think about swimming um, and think about the athletes that are involved in our sport, we are some of the most healthy uh, human beings on the planet and think about those human beings <laughs> no pun intended being bathed in chlorine <laughs> and that's exactly what swimming is like it's it, 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 it it's the mission of the coalition to prior to prioritize opening pools for instructional purpose driven aquatics i know that's a long uh, saying but all we're trying to do is get pools out open to teach kids swim lessons and to let those kids compete the way they've done in the past. And we were all about doing things correctly before COVID. A typical day for a swimmer would be to arrive at the pool with their swimming suit already on, jump in the water, swim laps with a coach on the deck, get out of the water with the suit on, towel wrapped around them, get in the car and drive home. That was pre-COVID. And certainly after COVID struck, we were able to really follow those guidelines. And the bottom line is COVID is not transmitted via chlorinated water. That's the CDC. That's Mm. not me talking. So, okay, because, you know, I have young kids. We have a pool that's in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of back and forth this summer about whether they should open it or not. 
Um, and we were uncertain whether going in the pool with other kids and other families was a safe activity to, uh, to take part in. Well, th- th- there's a difference though. See, you're talking about a social gathering. Yeah. Um, and, and in a way, I guess, Swimming practice and swim lessons is a bit social because you have multiple people. But the way we have put together this comprehensive plan, it's led by USA Swimming, which is the governing body of the sport, is the fact that we have every single protocol in place. Meaning when a child dives in the water, there's literally one child on one end of the pool and another child on the end of the pool, and they swim. Yeah. Now, do they, do they uh, go past each other? Absolutely. But again, we're trying to take as many precautions as possible. We're not advocating for just swinging the doors open and opening up to large crowds. But I will say your your neighborhood pool is the same as my neighborhood pool. I live in Florida. We have a neighborhood pool closed all the way through summer. Hmm. And I wish I could have convinced them that if you do it right and you have a lifeguard or even if you don't, I think most people – you know, when you walk into a grocery store, are probably using common sense when they're walking around with a mask on and everything. And the same thing can be applied to a swimming pool in a social gathering. But I'm not talking about that, Graham. I'm talking about instructional purpose-driven aquatics. Yeah. Um, I do want to stay on, on one part with the public pools with you for a moment because um, – I know that around the country and Mayor Bowser here locally, wherever I am, Muriel Bowser had decided to close all the public pools. And we've heard a lot of this in a variety of different sports that there are a number of mental health repercussions by not having social outlets and activity. Uh, There is a lot of financial, obviously, if things are are shut down. Um, What do you say to pools and people who are making a decision about whether um, pools should be open, obviously in climates now that can, that can, you know, handle it. What do you say to them now well, as, as they try to navigate the future? So Brim, the, 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 the deal is we're, we're post summer, right? We're heading yeah. out of the summer and that's when people tend to forget about this, but drowning, if we're in the middle of a pandemic, drowning is an epidemic in our country. It is the number one cause of unintentional death in children four and under number two cause from four to 14. So it is a real problem. And the drowning rates certainly spike in the summer, but they really maintain through the fall and winter, especially in states where it is, especially in the Sunbelt states like Florida, the drowning is just as bad in January as it is in July. So what we're trying to say is, listen, we, we know how to do it. We have that comprehensive plan. Those swim lesson providers have that plan. And you're so right. The mental and physical health uh, of exercise reduces that risk um, of COVID-like symptoms. So we're, we're just trying, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse a little bit, but I, I'm just trying to get to those policymakers and those public health officials yeah. by saying, we, we, we know how to do it. I get it though. Listen, I, I also want to, I also want to say that, you know, the, the, the mayor of Washington, DC, for example, ha- hasn't opened the pool and is not going to for the rest of the year. And I know that she's got a lot on her plate, but if she's just not educated on the issue, um, especially now that after we go out through the summer where the outdoor pools are open, really a lot of indoor pools are especially not going to be open because of the fact that uh, they're really afraid of indoor. 
usage, which is really not that big of a difference from indoor pools to outdoor because uh, because they're aerated so well. I want to ask you about um, I want to get into the Olympics with you in a moment, but but I do want to ask you one other sure. thing about covid, um, which is uh, there's a lot we still kind of don't know about what it exacerbates in people. In fact, I mean, like it's hard to tell sometimes if you just kind of, you know, read people who have had it, it's hard to tell what's going to happen to anybody when, if they were to get mm-hmm. this, but athletes who do have this, we have heard in recent weeks that there are heart issues uh, that can potentially be exacerbated if you unfortunately get infected with this and overcome it. Um, what have you learned physically and, and what should athletes and everyone, I guess, for that matter, be wary of at this juncture um, if they are exposed to COVID-19? Well, I believe me, I'm not, I am no scientist. I'm no doctor. And that's the beautiful thing, Bram, about our coalition is the fact that there are over 40 different water safety organizations, competitive water sports. I mentioned USA Swimming, but we also have uh, three other Olympic governing bodies. We have the Red Cross, the YMCA. We have some of the best medical experts in the world on this coalition. For example, we have a, a woman named Kara Kirk who happened to be a, an Olympic swimmer. But now she's a, a virologist at Johns Hopkins. So we have some really brilliant people. I'm just some dummy that, that is, a, a, is a spokesperson for the coalition. But we have a lot of smart people on this coalition that know what they're talking about. So I, I can't answer that question directly. I just can tell you that we care about people's health. We're not doing anything where we're just throwing people to the wolves when we try to advocate opening pools. We are really methodical about the plan. And the plan is to try to keep our children and for that matter, adults safe when they enter that pool. Uh, let's talk about the Olympics a little bit. Um, just, sure. just what was your, I, I mean, I don't know that they had a choice, but just what was your general takeaway when they determined they were not going to be able to hold the Tokyo games this past summer? Devastating. I mean, it was devastating. I I can empathize with them, Bram. I made the Olympic team in 1980. That was my best year of swimming. In fact, I was World Swimmer of the Year that year. I broke two world records. And uh, the point is, is, is uh, that was taken away. Our country boycotted those Olympics in 1980, and we did not have them. In fact, we had to wait four more years. So in a way, I can certainly empathize. Today is a little different because it's a matter of life and death, and it's just a matter of a, a career's life and death back then, but I can feel the pain that, that so many athletes have felt over the last six months, the feeling of denial and anger and certainly grief. But at this point now, you know, you got to, as my father used to say, you know, poop or get off the toilet, you know, uh, you got to be motivated. And that's the turn, the acceptance and the motivation part. And the the, the 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 IOC did the right thing. You know, there was no way we we're going to be able to have an Olympics this summer. And I honestly believe, and I have no knowledge whatsoever, but I believe in my heart we are going to have an Olympics next summer, and it's going to be Olympics in history because the Japanese are amazing people, and they know what they're doing. The biggest point in that I want to make for him is the fact that I think knowing it's a year away. I think they will be able to learn a lot over this year. I mean, look at the NBA, look at the NHL, look at Major League Baseball, look at organizations that have done it right and also have done it wrong. And I think they'll learn a lot from those lessons. And that, that includes leagues all over the year, all over the world. 
you know, I don't want to guess what's going to happen eight, nine months from now, because I think we don't know yeah. what's going to happen. But it is possible because of all these leagues you're talking about that the Olympics will be held without fans or very few. And what a different experience that would be. I mean, I've, I've only been fortunate to attend one, but the magic of it is is the people who come from around the world to to be with one another and take in these events. And if that's not there, wow, that is that's just an entirely different event that's taking place. But don't you think that we are in a phase that by that point we're we're accepting of that and yeah. we're gonna get used to that being I mean, look, I, I watched the the, the Raiders and, and Saints last night in that beautiful uh, stadium last night completely empty. And yeah. it was just shocking to see that. But you know, you get used to it. And I think by next summer we're gonna be used to a lot of empty stadiums and arenas all over the world. So I think we'll come to accept that. And for the athletes, dude, that believe me, that's not going to matter. If you if you can't get up for the Olympic Games, you're not. There's no way you're going to get up for anything. And to be honest with you, most of those sports, not all of them, perform in front of no crowds anyway. It's true. I mean, I mean, as a swimmer, I think the most people I ever swam in front of was like 13 people until I got to the Olympics. So. <laughs> I think most of those athletes are probably used to not swimming in front of big crowds anyway, or I say swimming, performing. I mean, you're going to have NBA players and stuff like that, but but for the most part, you know, when you go to a wrestling match, there's not going to be a lot of people there anyway. So I I think we'll figure it out, uh, whether there are going to be fans there or not. But I I have all the confidence in the world in um, the IOC. And I also have all the confidence, more so than more so than the IOC. I have all the confidence in the world in the Tokyo organizers. Uh, but it, it, to your point, of it just I don't want to get off track. But like to your point about you know, do spectators come? I mean, through the years here and in recent years, especially in America, some of the major stars mm-hmm. have come out of the pool. You know, of the Olympic Games, Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, Missy Franklin, mm-hmm. others. Sure. Um, sure. Has that changed um, the the lower tier events that aren't the Olympics? Has there been a greater amount of interest in attending events like that? No, because it's certainly not for the Olympics. Um, and our Olympic trials are just incredible, Graham. You should. I mean, if you ever can't make the Olympics and you want to see something like the Olympics is what it's all about. Our Olympic trials is really cool. It's in Omaha next summer. They're going to put a pool in the middle of a basketball arena. (laughs) Um, And basically we've already sold it out eight nights in a row, 15,000 people a night. Wow. Um, And, and that's without Michael Phelps. Uh, So I, I think the Olympic summer brings out the fan the average fan, um, if you will. And I, I really believe that uh, uh, we are still in this golden era of swimming. Um, the last 20 years, I've been fortunate to have called every single race that Michael swims. And is his, his absence next summer going to be uh, uh, tough? Absolutely. I mean, we had our Michael Jordan retire. We had our Tiger Woods retire. So, yeah, that, that's going to be tough. But we – I think the sport is bigger than just one person, especially during an Olympic summer. Um, long before Michael came around, um, the Olympic swimming was still number one, number two um, sport in the Olympic Games, right there with gymnastics. So I, I, I don't think that's going to change. And we still have a lot of stars um, in swimming, a lot of potential stars. A guy named Caleb Dressel, who you've never even heard of, uh, could win seven gold medals next summer. Wow. So we've, we've still got stars. 
Um, tell me about training a little bit here and, and what you're seeing from the high level athletes as one, they try to stay motivated for the assumption that there's going to be an Olympic games and two, can they train the way they're accustomed to amid a pandemic? No. <laughs> I mean, the, the, when it first happened, I, I've talked to a lot of um, high, high-profile athletes, and they literally were out of the water six weeks, two months, sneaking into backyard pools. Katie Ledecky swam in a 20-yard pool for like a month and a half, uh, one lane. I mean, it, 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 was, it was really hard. The, the, the point I try to make to those athletes, I've been on like 60 Zoom calls over the last six months, to different swim clubs around the country and, and a lot of pro teams too. And I, I try to tell them it's okay because everybody in the world is in the same place. You know, 90% of the world, this happened, you know, so everybody's in this. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the type of training that's needed comes back quickly. So if you're, a, the, the, there's a rule of thumb that every day you're out of the water takes about a half of a day to get back the feel of that water. Meaning if you're out of the water a month, it's going to take you about two weeks to get back into it. Then it's back to normal. So I, I told them, okay, let's say you're out of the water for two months. It's going to take you a month and you're going to be fine. He's not going to lose anything by being out of the water. Well, for that matter, a lot of athletes like that, you know, that we're not be able to go to the gym and practice gymnastics. Those things come back. These kids are young. They're going to be able to overcome that absence they had from training. And uh, they're going to be just fine. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I hope they have the games next summer. Um, I, I'm with you I on do. it will be, you know, I just, I think symbolically for the world, it will be yes. amazing to see that every, you know, yes. even if fans can't be there just to have all those countries together competing against one another would be an amazing yes. feat. And you're so right, buddy, because I really believe if they, if they do have it, it will be the greatest because of the exact same thing you just said, because the world will come together really for the first time. I mean, it's the first time where everybody will come together because that's what one thing that I learned through this the last six months is the world is, is we're all in this together. It's not just one country or two. We're all in this together. And you're so right. Next summer could be a, a great example of humanity coming together for a common purpose. Uh, Rowdy Gaines is the director of community outreach at USA Swimming. Of course, he is a swimming legend, and you get to see him when the games take place in the booth at NBC Sports. <laughs> Rowdy, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, my friend. Take care. On the next Future Sport Podcast, modernizing the pitch deck may help teams find their new competitive edge in the boardrooms. They were, at that time, um, that I was down there, we were doing a lot of like, it was naming rights, it was big, you know, six, seven figure deals. And so when we kept trying to put these great presentations together, you know, everything was just really falling flat for us. That's Angelina Lawton, CEO of Sports Digita. Her experience on sales staffs in sports led her to finding new solutions to bring the game closer to clients. And that will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. 
So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.